Well, good morning, Bayshore. I am absolutely thrilled that you're with us today. I can't tell you how excited I am that you're part of our online service today. And we say this every week, but I want to say it again. We miss you so much. We wish you were sitting in front of us, and uh, we just miss you. And, and I, I don't know what you're wearing right now. Maybe you just got up and you got your robe on. Maybe you're kicked back in your bed. You got us on your TV, and you're watching us in your bedroom. But wherever you're watching us, I talked to a lady the other day. She says, I always watch uh, at the kitchen table on my computer. Wherever you're watching, we're just thrilled that you're part of today's service because we love you. We love the people at Bayshore and all of our campuses, the Rehoboth campus, the Femic Island campus, the Millsburg campus, and also the people in our community. We have hundreds of people now that are listening to us every Sunday uh, just are a part of the community, and uh, we're just so glad that you're part of today's service. Now, we're in a series where we're studying uh, the seven miracles that occurred in the book of John, and this series is called I Need a Miracle. Now, I don't know if you know much about the New Testament, if you know much about the Bible, but the New Testament has four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospel of John was written by one of the followers of Jesus. He was one of the guys that was closest to Jesus. And what he did in his book, the gospel of John, is he took seven of the miracles that Jesus performed. Uh, Jesus actually performed about 33 miracles, but he took just seven. He selected these seven miracles, and these miracles were for the purpose to show that Jesus was the Son of God. And at the end of his book, he said, says in uh, the end of the book, he said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So basically, the whole thesis of the book is about these miracles show that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus was an amazing uh, person that came to this planet, that he was the Son of God to give us eternal life. So we just love this, love this uh, book. And we're going to read, I want to read actually uh, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This is the fourth miracle of the seven miracles that Jesus performed, John 6, verses 1 through 15, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. It's about a bunch of hungry people that were really hungry, and Jesus fed them. And we're going to learn some really cool things about this today in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that he intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. 
Now, this is an amazing miracle for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons it's an amazing miracle is because this is the biggest miracle in terms of uh, numbers that people, uh, that Jesus ever performed. Incredible miracle. 20,000 people were involved in this miracle. Now, it says in the text that there were 5,000 men, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John fill in the blank, and they say that there were women and children there as well. So scholars estimate that this was a miracle that involved 20,000 people. So Jesus many times healed people and did incredible things, but this is a colossal miracle. This is a miracle where he uh, does something for a lot of people, and uh, he touches a lot of people with his provision, and it's an incredible story. And it happens around the Sea of Galilee. Now, I love the Sea of Galilee. I've been to the Sea of Galilee a number of years ago. I went there and got on a boat and got to sail in the Sea of Galilee a little bit. And the Sea of Galilee is kind of a cool, cool thing. It's a little misnomer, however. A lot of people, you know, they, we always call it a sea, but it's just a lake, basically. It's only 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. And in the Old Testament, it was called the Sea of Chenereth. Now, Chenereth means harp. That's what it means in Hebrew. Now, uh, the reason it was called Chenereth in the Old Testament was because the Sea of Galilee is shaped like a harp. So this little, little, little lake, uh, along the lake, Jesus did a lot of things. He healed people. He touched people. But this great miracle occurred on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you've ever been to Galilee, you know uh, there's mountains and hills all around the Sea of Galilee. But particularly on the east side, it's real hilly. Now, here's a picture of the east side. This is the very area where Jesus performed this miracle of feeding the 5,000. This is now called the Golden Heights. And it's got a lot of hills there and uh, just a beautiful area. You can see in this picture, you can see the lake down there. But this is the highest area around the, the uh, Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says that, that Jesus went there. If you look at the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they fill in the blanks. There's some things that happened right before this miracle. In fact, Jesus was coming to this area to sort of get by himself a little bit because this big, horrendous, tragic event had just taken place. John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, Jesus obviously loved John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist had uh, been, been persecuted by uh, Herod Antipas, who was uh, the, the actual king in this area, because uh, John the Baptist had confronted him for a sin in his life. And so John the Baptist had been beheaded. And so Jesus is withdrawing to this area to sort of process that. And the, he's upset, and the disciples are upset, and so they come to this area to sort of get away. What, another thing that's happened right before this is the disciples had all been sent out to preach and teach all around the area of Galilee, and they were kind of wore out, and so they're coming as a place of retreat. But the people here, the people here that Jesus is in this place, and so Thousands of people began to gather to this area. And so these thousands of people began to come, and the crowd begins to grow more and more. And Jesus, although he's in mourning because of John the Baptist, the Bible says that Jesus had compassion. He had compassion on the people, and he began to heal their sick, and he began to teach them many things, it says. And so in the midst of this, this, this goes on hour after hour after hour. Most of our services are 
about an hour long. But, you know, when you think about those days, I mean, they were there and they were in this area and Jesus taught them for hours and then he would take a break and he would heal people and then he would teach some more. And uh, as it's beginning to get later, the disciples are beginning to think, you know, hey, listen, these people need to, need to leave. They need to leave because they need to get some food. Now, I want you to think about something. You and I live in a different world than these people lived in. The world that they lived in, there weren't any restaurants. We're all like struggling right now because of carryout, you know. And uh, Karen and I went to uh, Iron Hill yesterday and got a, a great meal. And, uh, you know, it was carryout and all that. And, and so we're like all frustrated because, you know, it's all carryout. You can't go in and sit down and order anything in a restaurant anymore. But in these days, there weren't any restaurants at all. Just there weren't any restaurants. There weren't any grocery stores. There weren't any giant uh, supermarkets. There weren't any food lines. There weren't any Harris Teeters. Uh, this was a different world. And think about this. 85%, 85% of their income was spent on just getting food. Every day when these people woke up, the biggest uh, objective they had was to get enough food to feed their family for that day. And so this was a culture that food was everything. It was just everything revolved around getting enough food to survive. And you and I, we live in such a, a blessed state. Even as we go through COVID-19, we're in this incredible place where we have plenty of food and plenty of provisions. And uh, these people were, were very, very much in a different situation. And the Bible says that what happened was the disciples came to Jesus and said, listen, you know, we need to send these people away. They need to go to some of these villages and see if they can find some bread in order to have some food. And then Jesus said, why don't we take care of the problem? Why don't we feed the people? And, uh, and they said, you know, Jesus, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. You know, it would take eight months' wages. If we, if we had eight months' wages, uh, 200 denarii is what it really says in the, uh, in the Greek, and denarii is, uh, denarii is a uh, is the wage of a laborer for one day. Uh, and and he, he said, you know, he, he said, why don't we feed the people? And the disciples said, well, listen, it would take, you know, almost, uh, you know, two-thirds of a year's wages just to buy enough bread so everybody could have one bite. And then Jesus sends the people, sends the disciples, he sends the disciples into the crowd. He sends them in there to begin to canvas the crowd to see if there's any food there. And so as they go in to the crowd to begin to canvas the crowd, they come back and all they can find, these people don't have any food. All they could find was one little boy had five barley loaves and two fish. That's all they could find. Now, barley loaf, by the way, we're not, we're not talking about a, a big, long Italian loaf of bread. We're talking about a biscuit, basically, a barley biscuit. And, and when you think about barley in these times, barley always was the food of poor people. So these people are destitute and they're poor. And so they have five barley loaves and then they have two fish. Now, we're not talking about marlins here. We're not talking about a great big fish. We're talking about pickled fish. We're talking about sardines. And so we have just a, a few little barley rolls, and we have two little fish, and, and, and then the disciples say, well, where would they go? How can they go uh, and feed the people when there's so many people here? So the Bible says that Jesus did this, that Jesus took the barley loaves, and he took the barley loaves, and he took the fish, and he held them up to heaven, it says, and it says he looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks for that little bit a bread that they had, and then he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples began to distribute that, uh, that bread and fish, and it began to multiply. God was doing a creative miracle where he was creating bread, and he was creating fish, and all these incredible things began to happen. And the Bible says this. If you look at the text, you look at the story, it says that they all had plenty to eat 
and they were satisfied. And really what it says in the Greek, it says that they were stuffed. They were stuffed. They were loosening their belts because they had so much food. They were completely full of this bread and fish that the Lord had provided. Now, I want us to think about this story in terms of where we are right now. I want us to think about what we're going through right now with COVID-19, what we're going through with this. This basically is a story about a big problem and resources that aren't adequate to meet that big problem. It's basically a story about a big challenge, and they didn't have what they needed to meet that challenge. Now, if you ever felt that way, that you didn't have what you needed to meet the challenge in front of you, but basically that is what this story is teaching. It's teaching that God can be the resource multiplier. God can give you what you need when you have a challenge in front of you that's bigger than you are. Now, I want us to look at a couple things, a couple things in, in light of what we've been going through. I want us to look at a couple principles here that I think we need to remember. First of all, the first principle is we need to give thanks for little things. Give thanks for little things. Give thanks for little things. Remember in the story, the Bible says that, that Jesus just had some barley loaves and a few fish. And what did he do with that? He didn't lament, oh my gosh, I don't have what I need. I'm not going to make it. You know, he looked at what he had and he was thankful for what he had, even though what he had seemed like it wasn't adequate to the challenge in front of him. And so every miracle begins with thanksgiving. Every miracle begins with us being thankful for what we have. Just beginning to thank the Lord for what you have. Beginning to say, Lord, you are faithful to me. You're taking care of me. And being thankful for the little things. Giving thanks for the little things is an incredible principle in life. And, and so, so easy right now for us to kind of like be, uh, the last thing we want to be is thankful. We want to like, you know, hey, listen, you know, there's so many problems, there's so many uncertainties, there's such a big challenge, and we're all fixated on what's wrong. We're fixated on those negative, dark things instead of being focused on what we have. What are the blessings that we have right now? And beginning to be able to give thanks for that and beginning to give the Lord thanks for that. And so when we think about getting through and getting uh, in a better place in this situation, when we've got to begin by changing our paradigm, beginning to think about how good God is to take care of us in the midst of this time, to give thanks for little things, to thank the Lord for little things and to be grateful for that. And uh, I was just thinking this morning, I was uh, sitting on my deck and I was just beginning to think about, you know, all the things I'm grateful for, all the great things that God's doing in my life. God is doing so many incredible things in my life. And I'm, I just began to, to list the things that I'm thankful for that happened this last week. And, uh, you know, all the good things that are happening. I, I think about, you know, one of the things that happened to me with COVID-19 is that Karen and I are spending a lot more time together. We're spending a lot more time together, and we're watching episode after episode of Survivor, and we're holding hands, and we're watching TV, and we're having time together. I got to have dinner with my dad this week, and uh, I, I was sitting on my deck, and I was looking at this amazing Starbucks umbrella that the staff gave me for Christmas. And I was thinking about, you know, I just started listing the things I'm thankful for and all the things that are going right in my life. And in the midst of COVID-19, I've got some lows and fishes. 
I've got some things that I can be thankful for. Because you know what the antithesis of thankful, thankfulness is? The antithesis of, of, of thankfulness is, is complaining. Just being complaining and negative. And I don't know, hey, where you are, but I've probably done some complaining in the last couple of months. And uh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sure I'm talking to some people out there right now that you've, you know, you've gotten into that like negative vortex of things being bad and things aren't good and you've been complaining and you've been saying all these things about how bad things are and you're frustrated with the governor and you're frustrated with, with Congress and you're frustrated with the political people, you're frustrated with everything. And so out of your mouth is coming all of these negative things and you're just thinking all the time, what's wrong? And you're not seeing you're not seeing, and I'm not seeing sometimes, that, listen, things may not be perfect, but I got some loaves and fishes. And so Jesus stopped and he focused on that which he had. And he looked at that, and he wasn't focused on the challenge and the lack of resources that he had. He focused, first of all, on what he had, and he said, Father, I thank you for these loaves and fishes. And all of a sudden, what he had, was, which was not enough, became enough because he enshrouded that which he uh, had with thanksgiving. And whenever you enshroud, whenever you, you give thanks for what you have, God begins to give you what you need. So it's a very, very important principle there. And so learning to be positive. The other day I was playing tennis at the tennis club. Our tennis club finally opened up and we could play outside and uh, we had to practice some uh, social distancing thing. But I hadn't played, played tennis much in, you know, the last two months, and so I was thrilled to play tennis. And so I went to the, uh, the, the court, and, you know, and we were playing outside on the clay courts. And so I got there early and got the court all ready and started playing with my buddy. We're starting to play tennis. And then in the middle of our first set, uh, the, the, one of the officials there at the tennis club came and said, oh, you need to get off this court because somebody else had it reserved. And kind of thing that we'd never done before. It wasn't ever set up that way. And I was like, oh, a little bummed out. I got there and got it all the uh, the court already and and everything was perfect and and I had to leave we had to pack up and go to another court I had to walk you know about 600 yards behind this building to play at a different court and I beginning to get a little you know hey this isn't right and this is not good form but all of a sudden it hit me wait a minute wait a minute I'm playing tennis and it's sunshine outside and I began to say listen you know, hey, I'm going to thank God for the loaves and fishes because whatever you have in your life that's going good, uh, you give thanks for that, even if it's under the shadow of some big challenge in your life. Because God blesses us when we focus on what we have and how God is thankful uh, and, and being thankful to the Lord in the midst of that, and the Lord begins to multiply that. So it's, that's an incredible principle. Uh, I want you to just get this in your heart. Every miracle... Every miracle begins with thanksgiving. Every miracle, our life changes when we begin to be thankful. Paul said in uh, the book of Philippians, he says, uh, you know, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be filled with, uh, with, with grumbling or anything. Here's what he said. Uh, he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, he says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Do everything without complaining and arguing. You say, well, you know, hey, listen, Paul's not complaining. He's probably like everything's going great in his life. 
You know, he's probably at a sandals uh, all-inclusive resort somewhere in Mexico, and he's probably, you know, sitting there having a great time, and they're just bringing him everything he needs, lobster rolls and drinks and everything. He's probably in that kind of condition, and that's why he's not complaining. Well, really, when you understand where Philippians takes place, he writes the Philippians while he's in jail. And he's teaching them not to complain. Paul had plenty to complain about. He was, he was quarantined. He was quarantined. And he was quarantined not just for two months, but he was quarantined for two years. Two years, we know from other parts of the scripture, two years Paul was in jail. And he was teaching the Philippians not to complain. Not to complain. So, hey, listen, my goal this week, and I want it to be your goal this week, I want your goal and I want my goal to be this goal, that we don't complain this week. But instead of complaining, we take the loaves and fishes and we say, Lord, I thank you for these loaves and fishes that you provided for me. So the next thing I want you to think about here is, is I want, we need to do this. We need to ask the right question. We need to ask the right question. Ask the right question uh, during COVID-19. And the right question is, what am I supposed to learn from this? Everybody is saying right now, everybody's saying, how much longer? How much longer? That's the question we all have. How much longer? When can things go back to normal? That's the question we're struggling with. But that's not the right question. The right question is not how much longer. The right question is, what am I supposed to be learning right now? What am I supposed to be learning right now? What did Jesus say to these disciples about, uh, about this miracle and the loaves and fishes? He said, let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be wasted. And they were to go gather everything. And it's important that we don't waste this time. And I don't know if you've ever been on a trip. You know, it's a little hard to do this now with GPSs. But uh, if you've ever been on a trip and as you're on the trip, uh, you miss an exit off the intersection you're supposed to take. And I'm afraid that we're so fixated on when is this going to be over that we're missing, we're missing the main point. And the main point is, what am I supposed to be learning through this? The other day, I was uh, homeschooling our grandkids. You know, our grandkids are, you know, schools are closed down. So um, on the weeks that I'm not preaching, I'm helping homeschool a little bit. And I was homeschooling our two grandchildren, Nixon and Nora. Here's a picture of them. And uh, here's Nora. Nora's like all about it. She's a great student. She's like into it. She's like, you know, she's very uh, type A and has got all her details down. And then here's Nixon. You know, Nixon's typical boy. He like, he like does not care about this. He wants to climb trees, catch frogs, and have a good time. And so Nixon, uh, the other day I was working with him, and he was like not into it. He was like climbing the walls. He was not interested. He didn't care if it was a letter or a number. And I said to him, I said, Nixon, Nixon, we can, t- we can do this all day long. If you want to do this, we can stretch this out. It, take, it will take us all the way to dinner time if you want to do that. Or we can, you know, buckle down and we can get this done in the next 45 or 50 minutes and you can go outside and play. Nixon said, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Man, he dove in there, started doing his letters, started doing his numbers, and he was done in 45 minutes and he was out playing. He wanted to get it over with. He was not so much interested in learning anything. He wanted to get it over with so he could go on to the next thing. Now, I want, I want you to tell me today, comment in, uh, in the message below. Comment, uh, leave a comment in this section. What, what, is, what are you learning through this time? What are you learning through COVID-19? What are you learning? What is God saying to you? What lessons are you coming away with?
Sometimes when uh, I do counseling, you know, sometimes people come to me that have gone through a divorce and they're broken and they're hopeless and, and my heart just breaks for them. I sit and, and boy, no condemnation from us as a church. You know, uh, life happens and life is hard. And so I just sit down and work with them. And, and I always tell them this. I always say, uh, a divorce is not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It feels like it. It feels like you have no future. But this divorce is not the end of the world. But I always say this, what have you learned about yourself and about life going through this divorce? Because the worst thing that can happen is you can go through a crisis and not learn anything. And so it's important for us to kind of drill into that and understand. And so many people that go through a divorce, they, they don't learn anything, and they just like blame the other person. They don't learn anything about themselves. They don't learn anything about life, and they, they get into a next marriage, and the divorce rate the second time around is even higher than the first time. So it's important that we learn. We learn what we're supposed to learn when we go through a crisis. So let me ask you this question. This is the question I'm asking myself right now. What am I supposed to learn during COVID-19? Not, not when is it going to be over, and it is going to be over. It is going to be over. But the lesson that's important, the question we need to ask, we've been asking the wrong question. How much longer? But the real question is, what am I supposed to learn? And that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. I, I don't know that I've got it all worked out yet, but I know I'm learning some things. I'm learning this. I'm learning that the world is a complicated place that is as smart as I want to be and as strong as I want to be, that this world is bigger than I am. And when the flood comes, I need to have someone bigger than myself to hold on to. It's made me realize how much I need the Lord, how much I need the Lord to help me and strengthen me. Because listen, I'm not big enough, nor are you big enough, nor is the governor big enough, nor is the president big enough, nor is the Congress big enough, nor is any business person big enough. We're not big enough to solve this problem on our own. We need the Lord to help us. We need the Lord to help us. I always uh, like to find out what presidents have on their desk in the Oval Office. You know, most presidents have some kind of plaque there. Ronald Reagan had this plaque, the plaque he had on his desk back in the 80s when he was president. Uh, and this little plaque said, there's no limit to how far you go if you don't care who gets the credit. And that's a great little plaque. But you know what John F. Kennedy had on his uh, desk, what plaque he had? He had a, the prayer of a, a, Britain, a British fisherman. And uh, here's the prayer is, oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. That's what he had on his desk. That's an incredible insight. In fact, there's a movie uh, called 13 Days about the uh, uh, President Kennedy and him uh, during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, and it's an incredible movie, one of the best movies uh, that I've seen. It was an incredible movie. And the last scene of the movie, by the way, President Kennedy did an incredible job leading us through that very difficult time. And uh, at the end of the movie, the, the camera zeroes in on the desk, and you see this, this plaque, Oh God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small. The world is a big place. It's a complicated place. Life is complicated, and our boat is small. But let me tell you something. Our God is great. Our God is great. God is able to keep you. He's able to sustain you. He's able to take care of you. And make sure you ask the right question. The right question is this. The right question is, Lord, what do you want me to learn during this time? What do you want me to learn during this time? So this week, here's an assignment for Bayshore. 
The assignment for Bashor this week is ask the Lord to begin to explain to you, begin to show you what you're supposed to learn during this time. And don't miss the exit. Don't let this time be wasted. An incredible, important thing we need to do. The, the third thing we need to, to tell ourselves and the thing we, thing we need to talk about is remember who is helping you. Remember who is helping you. Now, uh, listen, this is important because uh, I think what's happened to people as I talk to people, Karen and I were at uh, Dollar General the other day and we were just, you know, we were in our space suits, we were all dressed up, had our mask on and we we're trying to be, you know, social distancing, but it was a store that was open. So we we're just walking around. We didn't want anything in there. We just like wanted to go into a store and we were at the register. We ended up buying some things and we're at the register and there were people coming in. It was one particular person, a leader in our community came in, his hair all disheveled and he was just like, he said, I've had enough of this. Had enough of this. Every everybody in the store was in the the molly grubs. Everybody was just tired of this, and they just like we can't do this anymore. We can't do this anymore. And here's what we need to remember: that's absolutely true. You know, sometimes life is so difficult, so challenging that we just kind of run out of gas, and we just can't do it anymore. And uh, it's absolutely we get to the end of ourselves. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter four, "I can do all things." Through Christ who strengtheneth me. Let me read that verse to you uh, in specific form here. Here's what it says, Philippians 4.11. Now I know whatever, uh, now not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of having, of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who strength gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. So Paul's in difficulty. A lot of times we quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, you know, we always quote that when we're trying to make the Olympic team or we're trying to you know, do something you know, hard or whatever. And that's all good, you know, use it in that way. But really, this verse is used about endurance. I can keep doing this. I can be strong. Paul is in prison. He's been in prison, will be in prison for two years. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you can't. You can't. You're out of gas. You're over it. You want to quit. You're done. But here's what the Lord says. Uh, You can't, but he will give you strength. Uh, remember who's helping you. And I want you to just say this. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. Or you can say it out loud if you want to. I just want you to say this. God is helping me right now where I am. God is helping you. And you just need, maybe some of you at, during this service, you need to just kind of lift up your hands and say, Lord, just forgive me. I've just been just so like wrong focused and I just give myself to you and I can do all things who Christ who strengthens me. Karen, I've been watching uh, Survivor, as I mentioned. You know, we've been watching, like, we're, like, through four seasons, you know, since we, this thing started, and we're, like, watching three episodes a night, and we're, like, you know, bags under our eyes, and we're sleep-deprived and all that. But there's one challenge that they have in Survivor where uh, the, the contestants have to stand uh, on, a, uh, on a little stand on their tiptoes, and they have to hold a, hold a block above their head. And here's a picture of this. Uh, this is one of the, the main challenges at, at Survivor. And they've got they've to they've just stand on their tiptoes and they got to put the block over their head and they got to hold it up as long as they can now we were watching one episode this is a famous guy woo he's one of the famous i forgot what season he's in but we watched one episode where the winner held the block over their head on their tiptoes for an hour and a half 
for an hour and a half. Can you imagine? And that's what we feel like right now. We're like, we're just hanging on, trying to hold ourselves up. And the Lord says, uh, I, I, Paul said, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's with you. Last thing I want to say to you today, this is a really, uh, the final thing, is, is when the miracle was over, when the feeding of the 5,000 occurred, you know, Jesus sent the disciples into the crowds to gather up uh, what was left over. And the Bible says that they went in there and they gathered up 12 baskets full of bread and fish. 12 baskets full of bread and fish. And so the last principle today is remember or look in your basket. Look in your basket. I've asked myself the question, why, why 12 baskets? Why not 10 baskets? Why not 15 baskets? Why not 8 baskets? Why not 16 baskets? Why 12 baskets? Well, I think the obvious answer to that is there were 12 disciples. And each of those disciples got a basket. And they, the whole thing that Jesus was doing in the feeding of the 5,000 and all his miracles was training his disciples. He was training his disciples. And each of them had a basket. And inside the basket was evidence of God's faithfulness, was evidence of God taking care of them. And so they looked into that basket and they saw in tangible form the provision of the Lord taking care of them and watching over them and sustaining them. And they saw the evidence of the miracle. And sometimes when you're going through a hard time, what you need to do is you need to look in your basket. You need to look at what the Lord has done in your life in the past, that the Lord has taken care of you, the Lord's been faithful, and the Lord has been faithful. And I think about my life, I think about you know, all the things the Lord has done in my life. I've pastored this church for, uh, been the lead pastor, been privileged to be the lead pastor for almost 40 years. And I've been here and I've seen things happen. I've seen, you know, church splits. I've seen, uh, I've seen, uh, you know, all kinds of things happen. I've seen when we have a great staff member and they move to a different state for some reason and how God just continually takes care of us time and time again, time and time again. And every once in a while, I, don't, I just have to tell you this, every once in a while, I just get a little discouraged. I just get a little discouraged and uh, like you do, like what you're going through right now. Every once in a while, I just kind of get in the molly grubs and just, oh, you know, and Karen is my cheerleader, my wife, Karen. And she always said, she always says this. Here's her phrase. Her phrase is, God's taken care of us for 40 years, and he's going to keep taking care of us. God's taken care of us for 40 years, and he's going to keep taking care of us. What's she saying when she says that? Here's what she's saying. She's saying, look in your basket. Look in your basket. Remember Jennifer Garner that does the uh, Capital One commercials? Here's a picture of Jennifer Garner, and um, she's got that uh, Capital One commercial. What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? Jennifer Garner, wonderful lady, wonderful gal. Uh, I don't know what Ben Affleck was thinking. Anyhow, the the incredible, incredible uh, thing. Look, what's in your wallet? Let me ask you the question today. What's in your basket? What's in your basket? What has the Lord done for you? What has he done for you? Listen, God has been faithful. God is faithful. God will be faithful. God has been faithful in the past. He's faithful in the present. And he's, he will be faithful in the future to you. I have a good friend uh, that I went to college with, uh, Mike, who probably is listening right now. Mike got COVID-19 about a month ago. 
and my dear friend, uh, I couldn't believe it. He has a restaurant. He had closed the restaurant down, and I talked to him on the phone several times, and uh, the Lord brought him through that. He's completely healed, and uh, Mike has seen the Lord do so many great things in his life. It doesn't matter if you don't get COVID. It doesn't matter if you do get COVID. When we think about God's faithfulness to you, God is faithful to you. He has been faithful. He will be faithful and he is faithful right now, and incredible, incredible. So look in your basket. What is in your basket? What is in your basket? And uh, this principle where those disciples picked up those baskets, and they looked in those baskets, and they carried around God's faithfulness, and they remembered what God had done for them. God's with you. God's with you. I want you to hear that today. He's with you. He's taken care of you. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. You, don't ma- you, don't, you can't imagine how much he loves you. Uh, give thanks this week. Don't be looking at the big challenge, how am I, wherever, you know, how, what's going to happen. You just be thankful to the Lord. Be thankful to the Lord for what he's done for you. He's faithful to you, and he loves you, and he cares about you. Uh, Sometimes I've seen on TV, you've probably seen this as well, you know, where there's, you know, there's a, you know, some lady that she's all upset because her cat's in a tree, and she calls the fire company, and the fire company comes, and he gets the cat out of the tree, and, and uh, they, they rescue the cat. And, you know, I, I always think that's humorous. You know, a cats can get out of a tree. And I've never seen a skeleton of a cat in a tree. Have you? Never have. And so sometimes we worry about the things that, you know, how, you know, we just overreact. And God's going to take care of you. Back in the uh, early 1900s, there was an author uh, by the name of James Thurber. James Thurber was a cartoonist. He was also a uh, writer. He wrote little short stories for the New Yorker magazine. And he wrote a story called The Day the Dam Broke. And in this story, it was about a little Ohio town, a little Ohio town. And all the people there were, uh, there had been some raining and all that. And one day, somebody came running through the town running through the town saying, the dam broke, the dam broke, the dam broke. And everybody in the little town, they're running for their life, and they're running everywhere. And this one man is running as hard as he can, and he's running, and he's running, and everybody's running out of the town. And he finally, in uh, fatigue and tiredness, sits under a tree. And he says to himself, what dam? What dam? He realized that he was being ruled by fear, and overreacting. Now, there is a real problem. I'm not suggesting there's not. There is a real challenge. But let me tell you something. The God that we serve is bigger than any challenge that you and I face. So he's with you. And I love you. Uh, The team at Bayshore, our staff, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Joel, all of our team, we love you guys, love you and care about you and we're with you. And I'm going to pray for you, and we're just going to ask the Lord to bless us as we, as we reach out to the Lord. Would you lift your hands with me right now, wherever you are? Just ask the Lord to bless you. Father God, we thank you for your incredible love toward all of us, that you're with us, you care about us, you haven't forsaken us, you haven't left us. Father God, we are going to give thanks this week for the loaves and fishes, because there are some good things happening in our life right now, right now. And we don't have to wait till COVID's over. We don't have to wait. We can guess, be happy and thankful now because already there's some really wonderful things happening in our life. We ask you to bless us and we ask you to take care of all the Bayshore family and everybody in our community. Bless our governor and the governors of all the states around us and we ask you to take care of this great country because we know, Lord, uh, we may be sitting under the tree worrying about a great flood, but we know you're going to take care of us. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.